This is Building Tomorrow. I'm your host, Paul Matsko, and with me in the studio are Matthew Feeney, Cato's Director of Emerging Tech, and Caleb Watney from the R Street Institute. Normally, I would kick off this show with a chipper, uh, Building Tomorrow is a podcast that promotes freedom and prosperity and happiness, but our topic today is a reminder that as much as tech can be designed for good and for benefiting humankind, it can also be used for, for evil. Uh, and we're going to be talking about the live stream and the reaction to the live stream of the Christchurch shootings uh, when the man uh, filled with hatred walked into two mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand and killed 50 worshipers. We're not going to be talking about the shooting itself, but I would like to take a brief moment to commemorate uh, the brave and loving people who were the victims of that shooting. Uh, uh, people like Daoud Nabi, who greeted the shooter who who murdered him. He greeted his murder with hello, brother, at the door. Or Naeem Rashid, who charged the shooter, forcing him to take time to reload and recuperate, recover himself and save lives as a result. And Hasniara Parvin, who sacrificed her life trying to save her her disabled husband's life. Um, these are the 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 heroes of the of the shooting they are people who faced with the most horrific situation responded with love and with compassion um even as they were victims of a tragedy and so uh from those of us here at building tomorrow we say to to, to them and to their families uh, assalamu alaikum and uh, our thoughts are with you this is the first mass shooting um in which we had a live stream of the event uh as far as I understand, I don't think there's been a mass shooting to this point uh, that's been live streamed. We've had individual smaller scale shootings that have been caught on tape, but not uh, like a GoPro style uh, mass shooting of this scale. And it's not going to be the last, right? This is going to become a phenomenon of people live streaming their terrorist attacks. Um, it's the it's the world we live in. So I think going forward, we have to realize this is the beginning of a trend, not a one-off black swan kind of event. And I think first we should talk about, okay, how did tech companies respond? This was live streamed on Facebook, I believe. Um, how did Facebook, YouTube, Google, um, how, how did the big tech companies respond to this? First of all, being live streamed and then later on uh, uploads of this video uh, going up on platforms. Well, you're right to point out that it was live streamed on on Facebook. And I think it is uh, difficult to pin down exactly how many people uh, – have seen this footage. I mean, Facebook said that about, I think, 200 people were watching it live and a total of 4,000 people maybe have seen it on, on the Facebook platform. But, uh, the, the so-called like big tech companies, right, were really in a scramble to take this thing down. Uh, and those are the usual. So Facebook, obviously, uh, YouTube, uh, made uh, a big effort, but they're in the unenvious position, though, of playing whack-a-mole, really. Uh, this yeah. thing proliferated, uh, across the internet and, uh, it's now up there forever. Uh, anyone who is, is curious enough can, can find it. Uh, and I think it really called into question, uh, how, these platforms moderate their content. And uh, I remember reading yesterday that YouTube actually just ditched human moderators and thought, look, we'll just throw machine learning at this and there'll be false positives. But that's, you know, a bullet we're willing to bite in the midst of this, you know, tragic historic event. Uh, and uh, I think it's worth keeping in mind, of course, that, that this, uh, the Christchurch shootings happened very quickly. I think it was all over in about forty minutes, thirty minutes, forty minutes, and uh, you know, uh, it takes it takes time to to figure out not just uh, 
where's this video? Who's posting it? Is it authentic? Is this a movie? It it can take some time. And uh, I I think AI certainly has a role to play in this, but there's the worry of uh, false positives and false negatives as well. So when we talk about machine learning, I think we're talking about uh, you identify some sections of the clip and then it trawls through everything that's being live streamed or posted and tries to make a match is it essentially using like a Google Google image search looking for like images but for video and then it pulls it if it looks too similar well they can use what are called digital hashes like these fingerprints right and and they're very useful i think for for copyright right so that okay. people want yeah, to yeah. upload a movie onto youtube that will quickly get flagged uh, automatically uh, but as as the technology improves there will be uh, other kinds of detection, right, that uh, they'll use. But this kind of thing's difficult because uh, audio of gunfire is in very legitimate uh, footage, as is this really disturbing first-person shooter perspective. You know, people who are hunters and hobbyists are people who like to talk about guns. Uh, there's, And I think that's where people worry about potential overkill when it comes to the use of machine learning in content moderation. But But I'm optimistic that as the technology improves, that's this will get better. Um, I just don't think it was up to scratch that a lot of people would have liked yeah. last week in New Zealand. I think it's also worth just taking a moment and realizing that if there are people on the internet who want to watch something, they're going to find a way to watch something, right. uh, yeah. regardless yeah. of whether that be on the big platforms or on you know all these new uh, distributed file sharing websites that you know there right. really is not any one central authority that you can ask to take it down or censor it. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've been trying to stop the scourge of child pornography and, you know, revenge porn and all these things for, for decades and decades. And it's it's a fight that we're constantly engaged in and it's worth doing that. But, uh, yeah, it's worth having like a certain level of expectation realizing we're not going to be able to fully stop it. Yeah. Well, and there's the um, – well, I, I was reminded of um, – uh, there, there is a do something kind of impulse here, which is something horrible happened. We feel – bad and anxious about that and rightly so right mm-hmm. um but that impulse can quickly lean to well as long as we do something these feelings will go away and we can move on and and the sad part of that that is is that means we actually don't do things that will be more effective in actually addressing problems of terrorism and of radicalization etc as long as we just make a gesture and the gesture is we're going to feel good if we try to shut down live streaming if we try to you know get back at uh, uh, digital platforms that broadcast this video. Well, I think it goes further than that, though, at least uh, given different legal system to ours, right? So New Zealand had an actual ban on the, the sharing <laughs> yeah. of the of the video, right? And uh, But not as best as I can understand, and I'm by no means an expert on New Zealand law, but it seemed to me there wasn't a similar prohibition on the so-called manifesto of this mm-hmm. shooter, um, that there was a particular emphasis on the video, which, you know... Uh, is a, a horrible piece of media, no doubt. But uh, if you're worried about the proliferation of of the ideas and of of whatever motivated uh, the shooter, it seems to me that uh, the manifesto should at least be on par as far as concern goes, right? Uh, and but but New Zealand has a totally different legal. Yeah. Uh, but as Kayla mentioned, in in the 21st century, it's sort of a fruitless uh, tool to be using, given that anyone with um, a little bit of know-how in New Zealand will easily be able to access this thing. Yeah, I made a note here. New Zealand has a chief censor, WTF New Zealand. <laughs> like, who has a, an official person whose title is chief censor? China censored? does. Yeah, right, <laughs> China, New Zealand. I mean, there are places right. with that. Uh, and actually, to quote 
to quote said chief censor, a Mr. Shanks, um, uh, every New Zealander should now be clear that this clip is an illegal, harmful, and reprehensible record created to promote a terrorist cause. If you have a record of it, you must delete it. If you see it, you should report it. Possessing or distributing it is illegal and only supports a criminal agenda. But this really raises the obvious quote. What does it mean to control? What's the the quote to control or own or um, the yeah, actual verb yeah. is? If you have a record, record of, of it, it so. I don't actually really know what that means. I suppose if you have it on a USB stick or something, you could make an argument. But if you see it on Twitter, you don't own it if someone's posted it, right? Well, uh, there's also Go. all these new like distributed platforms where kind of by taking part in the platform itself, you're kind of helping host all right, of the yeah. videos yeah. that are on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you have like no knowledge of the fact that you're hosting it, like is motivation a key part of like whether or not you fall under this law? Sure, sure. Yeah. Well, and this, I mean, the video has been circulated on, um, was it File Planet? Uh, it's it's um, yeah um the interplanetary, interplanetary sorry interplanetary yeah, yeah yeah which is something similar to i think what caleb yeah i think it's distributed right, yeah. and mm-hmm. so i mean everyone it's a file sharing kind of system yeah. right mm-hmm. and so everyone on there controls a piece of all the con- of most of some chunk of the content so that just technically criminalized anyone who's you know a big chunk of people who are on interplanetary on the network in New Zealand now are criminals according to the chief censor of New Zealand so it's it's it is a measure aimed at it's almost aimed at uh, its early internet days and the internet has evolved to the point where that just is odd, right? That's yeah, an odd yeah. way of thinking about But it goes back to the instinct you highlighted earlier, which is if you're you know, uh, in law enforcement in New Zealand on the day this happens, you've got to say something about yeah, it and you've yeah. got to do something about it. Um, and I think it's probably worth mentioning the actual – yeah, the, the the body of legislation that actually governs a lot of like content on these platforms, right? Because people might be thinking um, whether these platforms are under like a legal obligation to take stuff like this down, or whether it's a PR move, uh, and, and that's uh, certainly something lawmakers in this country have been talking about. Uh, there's, you know. Uh, what people refer to as Section 230, right, which protects uh, platforms like Facebook f- from liability for content that users upload, basically. And uh, which I don't think it's an exaggeration to say is, you know, a pretty key piece of legislation yeah. to allow the internet yeah. as we know it to exist. Uh, but uh, Senator Mark Warner in uh, the wake of the Pittsburgh shooting, right, mentioned that um, he was really concerned about the uh, immunity that uh, platforms have when it comes to extremist content. And uh, I don't think his, I think what happened in Christchurch will only um, give lawmakers another opportunity to potentially whittle away a really important piece of legislation. Yeah, and I think we can draw a distinction between, you know, private sector censorship and public censorship where of like course, I'm yeah. fully right, right. supportive of the rights of any media outlet to decide not to air the video. Right. In fact, I pre- kind of prefer they 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 didn't. Um, but there's a distinction between that and the government, whether a chief censor or uh, directly banning this this content or the US government weakening internet protections like Section 230 in order as a kind of backdoor attempt to get rid of content like this. Um, or to disincentivize people posting content like this. I mean, I, either either direction is – it's censorship. It's a first – I mean, in the, in the US, we have First Amendment. I don't know if New Zealand has a comparable uh, uh, Bill of Rights. But in here, you know, speech is protected, including reprehensible speech, um, uh, which this cl- clearly qualifies as. And so if you weaken – I mean, it, it's possible too that in playing this game of whack-a-mole, you could 
undermine the kind of very pillars of the internet itself. Like without Section 230, every time a troll posts a death threat on Twitter and Twitter doesn't immediately take it down, they could face a, a lawsuit. Right. And, right. and it's, it's, I think, particularly disturbing because there are the two big discussions you see about this, right? There's this 230 reform. Uh, but this is happening at the same time that lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are talking about antitrust when it comes to what they call big tech, right? Uh, and the idea that smaller companies would somehow handle this sort of thing in a better way um, confuses me. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. yeah. I, I want to touch on that that second point. But first, I want to, I want to take a step back and, and realize that this is a broader conversation than even just internet platforms and like Section 230. This is like how do we have discussions that aren't like directly moderated, you know, by each comment to comment. You've seen uh, just recently uh, a number of the big news media sites like the New York Times, Washington Post have shut down their comment sections that they used to have. And it's partially because they're running into this exact problem where uh, they don't want to allow anyone to be able to post and then have that content potentially held against them, even just in a PR context, not right, even, right. you know, uh, yeah. legally. Uh, and so, but, but then trying to hire like human moderators to go through and check every single comment before it's posted is incredibly expensive and damaging to like the minds of the people who are having to moderate yeah. uh, the vast, you know, wasteland of the of, of human imagination. There's like all these like poor folks in like Bangladesh who have to or, or in centers around the world who have to like watch thousands of hours of everything from like child porn to, to so they can pull it off these platforms. Yeah. No, it's awful. Uh, yeah. And so, so we're really kind of like at a crossroads about like, well, how do we value these these various, uh, you know, values? And do, do we want there to be space on the internet to have unmoderated discussions? And how public should those be? And should those be attached to, you know, reputable brand names? Yeah. Well, and if you push them off the reputable brand names, I mean, what you – I, I think again the whack-a-mole metaphor is fitting. Um, if you push it off the, the the major platforms, right? Folks will find a way of organizing new platforms, and and that can go even from okay, if you if you take people off Tumblr or off you know social media platforms that most people have heard of, they go to Reddit. If you take them off Reddit, they go to Four Chan. If, if if you have if Four Chan, if they feel oppressed by Four Chan, they form Eight Chan. If if Eight Chan gets shut down, they go you know there's. There'll be sixteen chan. There'll be sixteen chan, <laughs> thirty-two. I don't know if it's a square. What's what the, um, or eventually goes. You could go to the black web, right? I mean, you can go dark web. Um, and uh, it, it would be much harder. You know, it's harder to access. But for a really motivated radical community, I mean, people who are being radicalized in uh, in online forums, if you're determined enough, you can make it happen, right? And so the and the same thing true of conversations. You know, the, the gab and. And uh, the, the the proliferation of of uh, new platforms for people to share ideas and, and converse online. So, like you, you fundamentally, that's that's because of the structure of the internet, right? Like, I I don't know short of shutting down the internet if you can actually get rid of of that. Well, I think what you might see platforms respond to is just by going to more and more encrypted channels because mm. then they just don't have the ability to stop things, Not right? That's, that's what you saw with WhatsApp. Oh, you know, a lot of yeah. these videos were being shared over WhatsApp too. And while there was some criticism of that, there was certainly a lot less than there was of Facebook or Twitter or most mm. of the major platforms, mm. partially because like <laughs> you can't tell WhatsApp to shut down the video yeah, because yeah. they just don't have the capability. Um, and, you know, Facebook's recent, you know, pivot to privacy, uh, some people are yeah. speculating that, you know, they may try to get around some of these questions of moderation by just pushing encryption on everyone. Well, which is problematic if – I mean if your goal is law and order and, and law enforcement, that's problematic because now uh, they can't help – you can't track this conversation, right? So if you force it 
underground or if or into encryption, which isn't technically underground. But if you force it below public notice, it makes it harder to track the criminals. I mean, we saw this with SESTA-FOSTA with sex trafficking. And what you did was you didn't actually get rid of sex trafficking. Um, you got rid of a lot of legal prostitution and personal ads on um, sites like Backpage.com. Um, it's shoved – I mean it shoved some prostitutes out into the streets in dangerous situations. But it's also pushed actual sex traffickers below the notice of law enforcement. It's made it harder for them to track sex trafficking through um, – and so, I mean, it back it's backfiring, right? That kind of action can ultimately make it harder to to get rid of criminal conduct, and, and in this case, terrorist terrorist misconduct. So, uh, it, that's the perversity. I mean, so it's not only that the backlash won't work and might have ill consequences, i.e., breaking the internet. It's that in doing so, you can actually make the threat the problem worse in the end. Now, uh, Caleb, you've uh, looked a little bit at I think Elizabeth Warren's. Uh, Kind of, how, how does this tie into Elizabeth Warren's plan for the big tech companies? <laughs> yeah, well, as we were kind of talking about earlier, this definitely does fall into the category of, you know, we're mad about this. We want to do something about it. And perhaps that, you know, instinct to want to do something is understandable. But um, that also latches on to uh, kind of unrelated topics that people are also mad about, you know. So you've seen, uh, obviously, Elizabeth Warren, uh, I think a week or two ago, brought up this proposal to uh, break up big tech firms, specifically Google, Amazon, Facebook. And as she later clarified, oh, Apple as well. Might as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then with how broadly her, her rules around, uh, you know, platforms are written, it may also include grocery stores or retail stores mm. or anyone that kind of has like a platform that people can interact with and then also sell their own brand on top of. Um, but you, you saw this being connected with the Christchurch shooting as well. People said, hey, look, here's another bad thing that the tech companies are doing. Here's further evidence that we should break them up when there's not at all like a clear theory of harm about how, you know, the, the concentration of Facebook leads to this. And if anything, uh, it seems like breaking up Facebook leading to more platforms and more decentralized platforms would actually make it way harder uh, to actually stop the spread of this video, it would proliferate in a way that's way it's way easier, way less possible to control. So flush that out. Why would why would the breakup? Why would dispersing the company make it harder to to you know take down live streams and videos and. So obviously for, for people that want to find the video, they're going to find the video. Right, right. Um, so the main thing is how do you stop people that wouldn't have otherwise seen the video from just their normal scrolling um, from from seeing it? And Facebook being one concentrated place, uh, I mean, obviously there are up other platforms, but if you were to break up Facebook, presumably there would be more platforms. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so – just having one censorship team being able to flag this video, stop it via their algorithms or the human moderators, and then try to prevent the spread of it from the rest of the Facebook platform is much easier than, you know, 20 different platforms, yeah, yeah. each with their own separate censorship teams trying to find it at the exact same time, stop it at the exact same time in coordination. Yeah. Um, and I think the other thing is if you were to break up Facebook, you might see more of the uh, social media market share also shift to maybe decentralized platforms in which there is no person to control it in the first mm, place. Mm-hmm. Which I mean, there—that's the give or take, right? Like you, um, it, it, it'd be interesting too. I, I think to put this in the historical context, and I'll put my historian hat on for a moment, because as soon as I heard about the the some of the proposals to like weaken Section Two Thirty, and just in general like legislative overreach as response, I thought of the video nasties, uh, as it was called, video nasties panic in the UK in the nineteen eighties, and a, a, a few themes. First of all. What we saw happen in the UK in the 80s was we saw folks who had a set of reasons to dislike a new technology or a new use of technology. Um, 
seize on a moment of like kind of moral, ethical, cultural crisis and use that as an excuse to push their agenda. So they had other, you know, less noble altruistic reasons for, for promoting uh, kind of a moment of moral panic. So the video nasties in, in the 1980s, essentially what happens, um, uh, v, uh, VHS software. I mean, today it's dated, obviously, I don't, you know, I guess the generation now might not have ever seen the VHS tape before, maybe in a goodwill still, you can pick up copies of I don't know, true lies or some something. Um, but this is radically it's it's a radical challenge to the traditional hollywood distribution model for movies for film and television because now rather than having to go to a movie theater or watch something live on tv you can pop in the blank copy of vhs and record it and then give that to your friends if they missed the the you know, sh- I don't know the showtime nighttime movie or if they missed you know or you can get a copy in theory of a, a Hollywood blockbuster, duplicate it and circulate it around. So it's a real challenge to their business model. So they have their own self-interested reasons for being skeptical of the rise of home video VHS technology. Um, then what happens is there's this, uh, the media essentially promotes a panic about what these video nasties, which are um, uh, like, think of like, well, snuff films, you know, videos of, of murders and, and, and the like, uh, softcore pornography. Uh, but then in general, there's this whole genre of, um, exploitation films, a lot of them from Italian directors, Cannibal Holocaust, uh, I Spit on Your Grave, uh, Ch- Texas Chainsaw Massacre, not by an Italian, but it was considered as one of uh, a video nasty in the 1980s. So a lot of horror, new wave horror films. But the reason why they proliferated was because Hollywood refused to play along. They weren't releasing their movies on VHS because they were trying to resist the trend. So anyway, so but people have these in their homes. A quarter of of Brits have a VHS, have a tape deck in their in their house um, by 1984. So they want there. There's a demand for tapes, and if Hollywood won't give them tapes, they'll find them in this kind of gray market of of video nasties being circulated. So. Uh, if you choke off supply because you're afraid uh, of, a, of a challenge to your business model, you're going to get demand from somewhere. And uh, so you get this proliferation of or video nasties. The media hypes up the problem of this. Like children are being exposed to these horrific, you know, snuff films and pornography and ex- exploitation. Something must be done. They got to do something. And so as a result, Britain passes legislation. Um, I think it's called the British Board of Film Censors is given the power to classify all movies. And if you possess an unclassified movie, it's a it's a felony offense. So um, uh, it, 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 and there are, there are knock on effects. So there's obviously suppression of, of speech going on there. It, it's a gen, you know, probably a lost generation of indie filmmakers because you could not go and record a movie like, you know, uh, on $1,000 in the prayer and distribute it because you you couldn't afford to classify something like that but you have created a movie that's unclassified it's illegal to do so in the UK so my point being there's this overreaction uh that is promoted by people with uh if you will secular interests and in, in exogenous interests i mean they hollywood wants this to happen because they don't want competition to their business model so the same thing in a sense is happening and they're taking advantage of a more moment of moral panic to do so. And you can see the kind of the outlines of that right here. So you have folks with a pre-existing interest in breaking up and or even just generally punishing the tech companies, whether it's Elizabeth Warren or others, who have a, a whole range of secular exogenous interests about doing that to big tech. 
along comes a moment of of cultural crisis, a moment of of you know to the to mass shootings, and there's going to be more of these. This moment's only going to be amplified as we go forward, I suspect. Um, and they're willing to seize on that as a justification for broad sweeping expansions of government oversight and authority. So I think there's yeah, a cautionary I, tale there. I suppose this fits into this this whole theme of overreaction makes me wonder about. Uh, you know, some kind of Streisand effect with these sort of things, right? Oh, that that uh-huh. you, um, I don't know how else to to put it, but there's a chance that when you engage in this sort of stuff, you martyr these people in a way that, um, you know, this this shooter has uh, managed like single to to uh, prompt a massive overhaul of New Zealand's gun laws, has prompted like a, the government to call out and say possession of this thing is illegal, uh, and. I think it, it probably behooves people to think about how much attention being paid to this kind of thing actually encourages it, right? Uh, now, if you're a private company, there's a clear interest in you getting rid of it. Uh, that's uh, I, I understand that. But I suppose this is more comment about public comment on it, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Because um, I, I do worry that people like this get too much airtime. Yeah, I mean, especially when I mean, I, I didn't read the full manifesto, but I, I read some summaries of it. Um, and it seems like he was trying to promote kind of like a a left wing reaction to you know memes that he was going to bring up. No would you know sort of uh, create a public fervor, uh, and then hopefully crack down in a way that sort of I think from his goal, he's like a, probably a right wing accelerationist. You know, if you can lead to the breakdown of the state, cause like civil war or something. Right. Right. Um, yeah. And so. Yeah, in, in some ways, the the backlash on the the um, the huge media presence that his his video and the manifesto created, uh, I mean, played partially into his motivations. Mm-hmm. Well, there there is a literature uh, that ties quantity of broadcast coverage to a elevated risk of like copycat shootings in the weeks after a mass shooting. So, but as far as I know, like it's still a new question to apply that to like. I've never seen that applied to – I mean it's just too new, this idea of live streaming or shared video online if that contributes in any way. So we don't know. But that's a separate question, right? Like we, what we know is that the media just paying attention to mass shootings, hyping – you know, talking about them constantly 24-7 leads to an uptick in, in, in follow-up mass shootings. Uh, and you can see that in the statistical trend charts. Basically with the – once you get cable news networks in the 1990s, the – it's not even just the prevalence of mass shootings, but also their their deadliness escalates because it becomes – so more people are shot per shooting rather than many more shootings per se because the copycat killers are essentially competing for who can get the biggest body count so that they can get their day in the, their 15 minutes of fame on broadcast news coverage. But that's a, that's a pre-internet problem. That's not a digital era problem per se. That's a broadcast problem um, that we already know about and – you know, I don't know if we're doing all that much to effectively address it. Um, and, and in general, I think like when you look at the manifesto, there's a ton of what they, you know, it's the internet term is shit posting, right? So he's call, he's saying, you know, go watch PewDiePie, one of the, one of the most popular YouTube or uh, Twitch streamers, um, or no YouTubers, I guess he's primarily YouTuber. Um, he, he shouts out Candace Owens as an inspiration. That that's not real. Like he's doing that just to leave red herrings. Uh, uh, credits Spiro the Dragon 3 of the video game for inspiring. That's, again, he's just pumping out fake content to lead people down rabbit trails. Um, 
and to get people to overreact to those references and miss what he's actually – I mean the, the core message. And the core message – I mean there are – again, if you're, if you're concerned about online radicalization, you're missing the fact that his actual inspirations that he returns to repeatedly uh, in the stuff he etched on his gun stocks and on his ammunition magazines that he put in the manifesto, it's older stuff. It's traditional white supremacist inspirations. It's stuff like he uh, references Oswald Mosley, the famous UK fascist, uh, interwar fascist, David Lane's 14 words about, you know, white genocide, the Turner Diaries, uh, authored by William Pierce in the 70s, which is a highly influential work of white supremacist uh, fiction. Um, Like those, I mean, those are the things that inspired uh, Timothy McVeigh. I mean, right, like, pre-internet era stuff. So in a, in a sense, his inspiration model is very old school. It's pre-digital. Like it, there's continuity there. So I think a lot of the conversation is it, do these online platforms like 4chan, um, uh, Reddit, et cetera, do they promote and fuel radicalization? Well, sure. But so too do they – there were corollaries for that prior to the internet and there will be corollaries no matter what we do going forward in the future. I mean, my, one of my takeaways was I was impressed with how quick and adept the platforms were in taking down the video. I mean, the, some of the, the success rate was, I think for YouTube, they, they pulled down like 90% or, or close to uh, of the uploaded videos just basically immediately. Um, real briefly, going forward, where do we think the tech can evolve if we let it evolve to more efficiently and more quickly address the problem of, of live streaming mass shootings? Yeah, it's a it's a hard question because I mean, as we touched on a little bit earlier in the conversation, uh, you know, you might try to recognize certain sounds like gunfire or screaming, but then there's also lots of like movies or you know, video game clips where you hear those same sounds. Um, you could try going for you know particular images, but again, I mean. He was almost trying to emulate like a video game in in some capacity, and I think you, as you pointed out, that seems more like correlation rather than causation. But it does make the the problem of trying to detect it earlier on using algorithms um, more difficult. Yeah, I, I'm not sure exactly how to do this. We, I mean, as you did point out, YouTube, Facebook, they had some success in in trying to take these down or in, in flagging them via their algorithms. Um, but it, it's hard. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if there's a good answer to it, and obviously, uh, I'm not. You know, the engineers yeah, trying yeah. to solve this problem. I'd be curious to get one of them in here and yeah, talk about what what well, methods they're working on that might have a better success rate with this. Yeah, what what is frustrating is the number of politicians around the world who have a a very um, nerd harder like attitude towards this yeah. that you should just throw computer science talent at this. And I know Senator I th- Blumenthal right described mm-hmm. the platform response to this as an abject failure, which I think is. Very harsh. Yeah, um, that is a harsh. Given yeah, that yeah. Uh, <laughs> they they seem to have made a really good faith effort to take this down, uh, but uh, to describe what at least I've I've read about uh, on the platforms as an abject failure, I think fails to recognize the difficulty of the problem and also how easy it is for this stuff to proliferate. And uh, unfortunately for Facebook and Twitter and YouTube, uh, as if if they can never reach one hundred percent, it won't be good enough for some people. Uh, but. Uh, I don't see them getting to 100% anytime soon. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, encryption debate. You know, like, yeah, oh, why yeah. can't you just create a secret backdoor that sure. only the, the police <laughs> or national right. security forces can use? Right. Just nerd harder, do it. You yeah. know, yeah. you have the tech, you have magic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Magic tech dust sprinkle yeah. over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I think, too, that 
while it might not be the most satisfying emotional reaction, if we just end with uh, there should be an element of keep calm and carry on that like there is a problem here. But if we panic about it, we can make things worse. We can go down unproductive uh, avenues in, in pursuing uh, governmental solutions. So we should take a collective breath before we propose legislation in the immediate wake of a, of a mass shooting like this. Uh, that's all we have time for today. Uh, thank you, Caleb, for coming on. Uh, and for the rest of our listeners, be well. Thanks for listening. Building Tomorrow is produced by Tess Terrible. If you enjoy Building Tomorrow, please subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about libertarianism, find us on the web at www.libertarianism.org.